you're listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast for Friday, the 5th of June, 2020. This is episode 23, the German contact tracing app examined. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. As usual, my name is Fab, and I'm recording this in my home studio just of uh, runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport, as usual. Um, kind of early, early in the afternoon. Some nice weather here. I've got coffee. Hope you're settled in. Um, I've finally, finally managed to record one of the extra shows per week. As you probably know, um, there's an episode out every Wednesday of The Private Citizen, um, barring any unforeseen special circumstances. <laughs> but even in most of those, I'm still putting an episode out. Um, but uh, I, you know, sometimes I like to create more content when I can, and I've got quite a lot um, on the plate that I can do shows about, or that I want to to want to do shows about. But I just ne just haven't had the time recently to um, to get down to do that. And now finally, um, it's happening. So yeah, so let's do let's do some of the stuff um, I wanted to do. This is uh, today we're going to talk about the. Um, the uh, contact tracing app for the um, for COVID nineteen that was um, created uh, because the German government uh, said we want such an app and they um, basically gave the job to SAP, uh, which is a very big probably well not probably it is the biggest German software company and um, they are developing this together with. Deutsche Telekom. You probably know this because I talked about this on the show before. Um, I talked about the the app and you know PEPPT, which was supposed to be the original um, consortium that was the kind of um, going to develop it, and um, how they then you know how the, uh, the government decided to give it to SIP, and how they you know doing this as an open source project and have open sourced the server software. And I talked about that and looked at the code. Um, now, last weekend, they open-sourced the rest of the code, so uh, some more server stuff, but that is, isn't really um, subject of this show, and it's not really that important, it's nothing really new. Uh, but also the apps for Android and for iOS. And I, I, I've been looking at those. I've, I've, I wrote a story for Heiser Online um Basically, uh, I've spent some days looking at the code uh, within my means. Um, please uh, be aware uh, when you're listening to the show. I am a journalist. Um, I'm not a developer. Um, I dabble uh, in software development because I feel like I need to um, keep up with it as best as I can. But I've, I've never managed to <laughs> write C code, for example, or, uh, <laughs> or assembler or anything like that. And I'm, I'm also not a... Um, a security researcher. I do know how to read research and, um, you know, research papers and do research of my own. You know, I, I dabble in hacking some stuff uh, once in a while, but I'm not an expert and I didn't do a full code review here. I just looked at the code myself. Uh, I looked for some some stuff that you would expect to go wrong. Um, I looked at some analysis that some people have already published and, you know, a lo lot of GitHub comment comments and stuff like that. Um, so that 
with the disclaimer um, out of the way, um, I think we can get to the main topic. Before I do that, as usual, um, there are show notes on privatecitizen.press. For today's show, I mean, we'll talk about some feedback later on. For today's show, uh, they mostly include a link to my story on Heiser, which is German. No, um, so uh, you know, I'm I'm not. I haven't written any uh, extra show notes, pretty much, because you know, I'm still. I'm basically going off of the research I've I've done for that for that story, um, because I still have all the knowledge in my head, and I kind of want to. You know, I like, as you know, I like podcasting. I like to give people uh, more access to stories like this by also doing podcasts about it, um, which is something I always wanted to do more of uh, at Heiser, but they always were reluctant. And I'm also, I, I want to make this accessible for people who don't speak German. So, um, but otherwise, you know, there's always helpful stuff in the show notes. There's links to contact me. Um, I always say that at the beginning of the show, I would, uh, I would like that very much. I like people, um, you know, if you disagree or if you have extra points or, you know, if you just want to say you like the show, um, I appreciate that very much. We had some, um, for this show, we actually have some audio feedback where the first listener sent in, uh, an audio file, uh, recording of his comments, which I thought was great, but we'll get to that later. Um, let's, let's get right into the main meat of the, of the show. And um, looking at the source code of the, so the app, as I said, uh, the the Bundesregierung, our federal government, um, kind of, uh, you know, gave this uh, as a as an assignment to SAP. Of course, they they're gonna be paid for this. Uh, expecting, us, I think, was it five million euros, or several several million euros uh, for the development which seems a bit excessive to me um, seeing as, you know, they've worked on this for about like five weeks and the app's now finished almost like, um, I mean, they, they, they are projecting uh, the app to be out by the middle of June. So, you know, what I looked at and what we're looking at today here is not the final, final code. It's the first version, but it's pretty much the app's pretty much there. Um and so I don't know. That seems a bit excessive, but I think they did a. Yeah, you know, I, I, I. This surprises me. Um, I, I never thought I would ever say that about SAP, but um, I, from what I've seen, they, you know, TLDR, they did a, did a pretty good job. It's kind of a brave new world, you know. Microsoft's doing open source, SAP's open source. Um, so what, what, what are we, you know? What are, what are we what are we looking at here? The the code is on GitHub. I'll, I'll put a link to that um, in in the show notes. It's called actually I don't have a I'm gonna call that up now so I don't forget. Um, it's called Corona Van App. Uh, Van being uh, German for uh, warning, uh, danger, uh, you know stuff stuff like that. And you can pretty much if you look that up. It's hyphenated because it's German. Um, you you will find that on on GitHub, and and there's a lot lot lots going on. I mean, they're not. I like the you know to to start off with that. I, I like the approach they've taken. Um, they, they seem to be um, committed to this being open source. Uh, all all the stuff, um, everything they have published and everything they can publish 
license under Apache 2.0. Um, I say can because there is this issue that I talked about on a previous episode that the Android app, because Google has integrated, I mean, this uses the, the Apple Google uh, contact tracing uh, API, which has also, if you're new to the show, go to private citizen press, look a bit through the archive there. Um, there is, I've, I've done several episodes on this. I did an episode earlier where I explained how the API works and I'm not going to go into that in depth today. Um, but because Apple, um, uh, Google, um, sorry, Google, um, integrated this into the, um, into their OS by way of the play services, it means to get to even be able to use the API, which like every, the countries are all like developing their apps and you have to be like a health provider and you have to be accredited with Apple and they work together with Apple. So every country has like one organization or a couple of, you know, a, um, a coalition, let's say, of several organizations that will develop such an app. And these apps are just basically the front end um, that, you know, the UI and also the, um, there's a backend server, of course, which has the country specific stuff, which actually manages the data. Um, but the, the, the app itself, like it doesn't have any like logic containing uh, concerning the how the actual contact tracing or what apple and google now call exposure notification works like that api um is completely um like it's within the us so basically on both operating systems the apps the local apps from these from each country just are a front end to this API and the back end, you know, they implement the server, but there's like this middleware basically in the US OS, which does the actual uh, Bluetooth stuff, for example, and it does the crypto and it does all the management of all the all the specific uh, keys and, and, and IDs and all that. So because of that, and because it's in, in, in Android, it's integrated into Google Play, it won't be part of AOSP, the Android Open Source Project. So if you have a um, an alternative, let's say, not one from Google or from your device manufacturer, another uh, Android distribution that you're using and you uh, opted to not use Google Play services, which is for many people a, a reason why they would use such, such a third-party distribution... Um, that's based on AOSP, you, you will not be able to use this. Now, Google has said they want to change that and they want to later on bake it further into the US, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but Google says so. I mean, it's it could be that they just implemented it this way because this was just a quicker way. You see Android actually implementing um, a lot of stuff that they need to update quickly uh, via Google Play serv- services because this frees them from... Like with this, you know, then there needs to be an update shipped from Google to the manufacturer and then the manufacturer needs to ship that to their phone once. But presumably Google can then, you know, when Apple or Google changed this API, they can do that without a further upgrade because it's integrated into Play Services. That's how I feel. That's why I think they did it that way. By the way, as I'm talking here, um, it occurs to me, you know, I'm listening to podcasts recently. Um, it, it occurs to me that this the audio quality of my podcast is way too good, because actually uh, the podcast the, the podcast should sound like this. 
Because that's what all the, you know, the, the, the podcasts from the New York Times and from all the, the big public broadcasters, it's all what they all sound like. Because now, apparently, when they go outside and do stuff, they're, they're recording stuff, through the, or even in their studio, I feel, sometimes, it gets really hard to tell. They're recording stuff through their masks. Um, because the virtue signaling, um, I don't know. Otherwise, you know, outside, I guess, you know, if you're reporting on stuff, but why do you, like, even on TV, like, why do you have to wear a mask? First of all, you're essential personnel, right? And then if you're, you know, if you're social distancing from all the other people, let's say you are at a protest, you're apart and you're filming stuff. I mean, why would you wear a mask? Uh, I don't think you have to, you know, I think the journalist would be exempt. Also, it, I mean, it's just like they're doing that as, as virtue signaling. It's like, is that, it's like, is that what you're signaling? Is that more important to you than like your listeners? Because, you know, the, the, the easy, the ease of use, the ease of understanding for the listener to listen to your podcast. Anyway, just a quick rant aside that just, just occurred to me that's been bugging me for several days now i will i will not do that i'm not virtue signaling with my mask here i'm actually um i think it's better that you have a podcast you can listen to wherever you are you know you might be in a car or on a bike and it might be loud and you might be listening with one headphone so i'm trying to you know um all I'm doing here is, you know, the compression and everything I just do so you can listen properly. That's the difference between me and the uh, public broadcasters here in Germany who get paid a lot of my money to do this shit and to produce podcasts. Anyway, rant over. Uh, let's keep going. So I feel like the um, SAP, so at the po at this point, um, people actually been asking me this after I published my Heiser story. Um, at this point, the developers developing this app, pretty much all SAP employees. Um, as far as I can tell, Deutsche Telekom, which which is also part of this thing, is not um, developing the actual app. They are providing the the cloud, like they have this telecom open cloud thing, which they, they provide that. And they're, I guess they're part of the server side and, you know, maybe consulting on that code. So it runs on their, their platform and interfacing with all the different, you know, with the Gesundheitsämter, the health office and stuff, which, which this needs to do because aside from the contact tracing, um, well, not aside from, I mean, it's part of the contact tracing. This kind of needs to enable you. And that's the part that's what I mean aside from this is not in the Apple API. Um, because Apple kind of is aware that every country has like different requirements, basically aside from the API, there needs to be a way of um, like, so in the API, um, I mean, we talked about this in an early episode, but kind of, if you get a positive test result, then you can tell the app and then it, it uploads your exposure keys to the central server. But to do that, um, to protect from people spamming the system and you know social engineering and 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 destroying the system, um, I'm, I've, I've tangled my microphone. I've tangled a lot of cables here, by the way. If you, oh god, I've completely tangled myself and everything. Um, I need to fix that for a second. Sorry. Oh, and you hear something's something's unplugged. But anyway, everything everything falls on the floor. I'm not cutting this out because I'm keeping it real. <laughs> I usually don't cut anything out of this show unless I, I fall off my chair and hurt myself really badly. Um, anyway, we've got everything fixed. So um, 
yeah, to 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 protect from from that, to protect from these kind of attacks, there needs to be like a verification mechanism. I talked about that. They have this verification server, and that in Germany, there's like a TAN system you can use, and um, so you know you'll get a test result from your doctor or from a lab, and then they give you a number or like a QR code you can scan, and you can basically prove to the app that you've been tested positive, so that people don't spam the system. And I guess telecom is involved in that. But the actual app development, um, as far as I can see, is just SAP people right now. They are third-party developers. They're, they're taking a lot of feedback from their GitHub repository, and they've been enabling um, third-party people from the community. Now, the problem is to use, I mean, Google and Apple say in their API, to use this API, like even for develop, like for development, right, to test against it, uh, you need to be accredited, and this is because they only want the uh, health or- organizations in the country or authorized uh, groups to develop apps. So, um, of course, the uh, SAP, the guys who are developing this, they have like it's 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 different uh, with the Google Play services and the Apple um app store but like they have credentials as developers and then they have access to the api and they need to manually whitelist people who are part of their team so for this um it's, it's kind of you can see that like this wasn't really thought out from an open source perspective this api because I mean, I kind of understand why they need to do that, like limit access and stuff, but this is kind of like now the SAP is kind of the, yeah, they're the head of the project, you know, so they're, you know, they're controlling everything. That's fine, but they kind of have to manually, <laughs> like you see in GitHub comments, people are like, how can I get access? Oh, well, I'm, I'm whitelisting you now based on your GitHub ID and stuff like that. So that, that, that could be better, but I think that's the way it is. So currently it's basically SAP people and a few other, um, developers who are working on this and sap did this very well i mean they're open sourcing this ahead of the launch which is really important it's a real open source licensing they uh, license they re- release everything they can um they use a good stack i would say you know they use um common tools i, I talked talk before about like the server stuff how it uses docker and you know uh maven as kind of their um management uh, thing for for installing and for the code and stuff like this and all the other stuff i mean this is this is pretty much textbook i mean on on the ios app uh they use the uh apple's ui framework uh ui kit they're not using swift ui which is newer um the app itself is written in swift um they don't use swift ui because they say that was only announced like last year and it's not as mature so i guess that's fine so they use ui kit and swift and for for Android, they use Kotlin, which is the way that Google wants you to write Android application these days, which uses like the built-in user interface stuff. And they use uh, something called the navigation component, which is also uh, Google thing you can use uh, with Kotlin and with Android that kind of navigates between the different screens and stuff like that. Um, it looks all it's pretty much using best practice and like the you, you are, uh, the design guidelines from Apple and Google. Um, and then of course the actual um, logic is, is using the, uh, all the exposure not- notification API stuff. So that's um, 
that's pretty much textbook. Um, and that, you know, all the namespaces and all that orients itself after that. So can't really, so far, I can't really complain. Um, the, a, a big target, I guess, if you would attack this app is the local data. And when they first open sourced this, the local data was just saved in plain text on like external storage, especially on Android, which was bad. Um, now that, I'm pretty sure it was just the development thing. Um, they are well, basically, they're using an SQLite uh, database, and that was just saving the database on the on storage, um, unencrypted. And I, you know, the the first like, so they have in their um, in the issue tracking on GitHub, you can see issues uh, from people in the community, but you can also see issues that were created by the BSI, the Bundesamt für Sicherheit in Informationstechnik. So our a government um, organization that is responsible for keeping government organizations, uh, IT systems secure. And they do stuff like this. They do pen tests or they contract with companies who do pen tests for official uh, infrastructure and apps of the government, which this is. So they have some, they already did some tests. And like one of the first issues was like, this is stored unencrypted and that shouldn't be. And, so they, 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 I mean, at the time you're looking at the code now, they've, they've already fixed this. Um, they're using something which I had never seen before, but I did some little bit of research on. Um, this is like a library that's called SQL Cypher. And SQL Cypher is a uh, open source project. Um, it's from a company called Sedatic. Sedatic and they uh, use, but it's basically a third party. They, they use like upstream SQLite, and then they um, have some modules. Then, so this is specialized for the purpose it's being used here. It's it's a specialized software to save an SQLite database on your local device in a secure way, and it looks good. I mean, it looks solid from from what I've seen. The crypto solid. It's um, it's 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 been used before in other projects. People use it. It's been it's been looked at. Um, and that that is that is crucial because there's a big point um, here that you know people have also been raising on Twitter and in the GitHub comments. So the, the the problem is I talked before about the problem that you have when you say an app like this um, is used on a completely voluntary basis, and if you then do that as a government and do not spe- write a specialized law that clarifies that. Um, gone into this in an early episode because you can have situations where you say okay this is used on a voluntary basis but it's not actually voluntary and there's another problem because we have these corona virus restrictions and you know there are you know they're mandated in some you know it's 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 policy um it's you know most of it isn't law but it's like legally like law as in you know we we've written a law that no, a coronavirus law in Germany. It's just like policies that local um, governments and, you know, uh, state, federal state uh, bodies uh, implement, but they're, they're legally binding, right? And on some of this, um, it's some, some things uh, are, you know, criminally relevant under like criminal law. So there is some stuff where, 
Um, you know, I've talked about this early on in the podcast, and we talked a lot about coronavirus and restrictions and civil liberties and freedoms and stuff like that. And you know, there's the uh, you you you're not allowed to congregate in groups, and some of that carries. Um, if you organize, let's say, an event that would carry, uh, it might carry um, not only like fines and civil law uh, repercussions, but actual criminal law repercussions. And whenever you get into criminal law in Germany, um, the government, the state, of course, has to inf like enforce and has to investigate stuff. So if I go to the police and say, you know, my neighbor did something illegal under this and this uh, criminal law uh, statute or whatever, then they have to investigate. They're legally required, you know, the, the, the attorney, the district attorney, whatever, you know, in Germany's Staatsanwalt, so it's the attorney of the state, actually, literally, um, has, to, has to investigate. Which means that with stuff like this, of course, where you also have a lot of narcs and stuff, people like that, you know, um, you could get a, a criminal investigation happening. And now let's say somebody uses this app on a voluntary basis. And uh, let's say somebody, somebody organizes an event in, in, um, in violation of these coronavirus restrictions and the police get there and now they want to find out who's organized it and how many people were there. And let's say they catch you at that event and you have a phone with you. And if you had installed this app uh, voluntarily, there might be a, a legal, um, it might be legally appropriate and lawful for the police to seize that data on your phone. You know, if it was, if it, if, If there was a password on your phone, you know, that that's different issues. But let's say there's not. Let's say your phone's unlocked and this app saves stuff unencrypted in an unencrypted SQL database. It would, I think, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but it would be, I think, legal for the police, at least in Germany, um, to, to get that data. And then try to figure out who your phone had contact with and try to do some, you know, stuff and maybe if you were there and it was would it was an illegal gathering you know maybe they're looking for the guy who organized it but still like you 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 are in violation of restrictions and this this app could prove that and it would incriminate you and if there's no law i mean there the green party for example is actually saying we need we need a law to govern this app which is something i've been saying i mean the the swiss parliament is is, is doing that right now for the Swiss app. And I think that's, that's very important, but it looks like in Germany as, as you know, Merkel doesn't want to have a special law for this because that takes time and effort and stuff. Um, but that's a very important reason now that this database needs to be encrypted because first of all, if it's well encrypted, then, you know, the, whatever happens, uh, state organs, nobody can get to the data. And also it raises, There's like legal hurdles that get raised once it's encrypted. There's a question: Is that can the police? Is it are they actually allowed to access that? Um, they probably would need a warrant. You know, then it's a question: Do they get that in that case? So, so that is a very important. Um, that's a very important step here, and this is why this SQL cipher library is um, is important that it's used. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Um, 
I mean, you can prove it. I mean, you can tell it encrypts the database. I don't know. I'm, because I'm not a security expert and I haven't done a pen test on SQL Cipher, I don't know how, if that if that works, right? If, if the software itself is faulty, then there might be something something there. But it, it looks good to me. Um, another attack vector, I guess, on this app would be network connections because obviously it needs to talk to the server, um, to the central server. Now, this app, as far as I can tell, this is exactly what it's supposed to do, which, which means you uh, install it. There's like an onboarding process which explains to you what the app is. And then it starts like generating these IDs, but these will never get sent anywhere. Um, they only get sent to the central server that SAP and Telecom are running uh, once you tell the app I've been infected and then actually prove that with a with a you know with a tan or something with a test result. Um, and to do that, and that that's the first time this app talks to the server, as far as I can tell. Um, it will, you know, when you. It will have there's a we I talked about this in an early episode. There's this verification server, which is a is its own server software, um, which which handles this. How do I get you know? Um, I, I mean, it will work like this. So I go to my doctor. I say I'm sick. I got COVID symptoms. Right? They would say, okay, we'll test you. They they um, take a swab. Most likely, I mean, Germany we're still doing PCR tests. Most likely for this kind of stuff. Um, because you are currently infected and, you know, don't know if antibody tests would work and whatever. So you're doing a PCR, take a swab, they take a sample, they send that off to a lab. And that lab would be a, um, um, a, its own, it's a, mostly it's a company, like most, most, I mean, big, 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 big hospitals, like, you know, the, the big university hospital here in Hamburg where my wife works, um, they would handle that. Uh, themselves they have a lab they can do pcrs they would do that mostly unless it's you know in some cases now with the covid stuff it was so there were it was such a workload that they were also sending this off to companies they do this with um the other uh, hospital where my wife currently works at you know, she has two jobs at the moment in Düsseldorf. um they're a smaller uh, hospital uh, just an inner city hospital they would send this also off to a um to a lab and your doctor would do that. And then let's say you're positive. So the lab finds out um, you're positive. The lab itself would, would report this, the fact that you're positive, who you are and all your data to the Robert Koch Institute, RKI. I mean, I talked about this very early in the show. That's what the Infections, Infektionsschutzgesetz uh, in Germany requires, this mandatory reporting of that. But then they would, you know, tell your doctor, give your doctor back the test result as well. And the doctor would then um, tell you, Right. I don't think they can tell you over the phone. I don't know. But um, your doctor would tell you. And like in this case, they would give you um, a TAN number, let's say. And then you would open your app. You would tell it, well, I've been tested. I'm positive. And then that asks you for a TAN number. And then they have like a verification system where that would actually probably go to the, uh, there's this thing called Laboratory Information Systems, LIS, um, of the lab company you've been using. And that, that would verify that, you know, yes, we have a positive test uh, for this 10 number. Um, so this app doesn't really even know who you are 
It's conceivable that that the um, verification server does because you know to do this with the ten number and stuff they they need to talk to the lab. But um, but that's the first time the app actually talks to the outside world, as far as I can tell. I mean, aside from you know the Bluetooth contact tracing, which we talked about when I talked about the API, how that works, um, and then it. You know, it gets from the verification server, it gets the information back. Yes, this person is actually positive. And then it would upload your um, exposure keys to the central server and for to distribute those to the other apps. And as far as I can tell, that's how it works. Um, I've been asked, you know, is there any any tracking technology in this app? As far as I can tell, there isn't, although the UI isn't fully there. I think the app pretty much works as it is. Um, it's, you can't really test it because to test it, you need to hack it or be whitelisted with the, you know, the, you need to be a developer because you need access to the, um, to the API. Um, but as far as I can tell, it isn't, but yeah, you know, the UI isn't finished. So <laughs> if I would be building in tracking technology, I would do that when the rest of the API is finished, you know, like, advertising or something like this um i don't think they will do that because this is an app from the government although that is sometimes not in germany that doesn't seem to be uh prereq like that doesn't even that doesn't seem to be um clear that they don't use tech technology so i'm i'm always annoyed so that hamburg has a city portal hamburg de which is by the local government of the city and the federal state and it has ads on it like it has Google tracking ads on it. And like the tracking is annoying, but like, why do they have ads on there? Like I pay them, like I pay them taxes and they make this website and it services up. That's paid for by the, by the citizens that's paid for by me. Like, why do they need ads and why do they track me? So, you know, that could happen, but I don't think they will do that in this case because this is a very high profile project. There's a lot of people looking at it on GitHub. Of course, um, you know, if you've listened to previous podcasts I did, I used to do a podcast called Linux Outlaws, and we talked about open source on there a lot. And there's, of course, a thing that software being open source doesn't, like, it guarantees you certain things, but it doesn't guarantee you everything. So um, there's a thing called reproducible builds, where basically, so this software is open source, right? And let's say they publish the final finished version that they're going to release and put the code on GitHub. Um, then the website will have downloads for the for the you know for the binaries of the app or you know you'll get it from the app stores now there's no guarantee that that binary they made is actually from the source code so you could conceivably build all the tracking technology in after this final version and then your binary being different so reproducible builds is a um, method wherein you can download the source code and build a file a binary like an app for, let's say, iOS, that is the exact binary that you get dis distributed by the um, App Store. Um, now, this sounds easy. You know, you can you can then do like a um, a, a, a checksum. You know, you can hash the file. And you can see that it's the same. Now, that sounds easy, but it's not as easy because of how build processes work. And to actually have reproducible builds is hard. I don't think they will have that because they're ready in a lot of hurry to get this app out. I'm I'm very, very um, impressed by what they've done so far, but we'll see. So, you know, it, that could all happen. But from what I'm seeing right now, that's not 
the problem. There's one other issue I want to address, which has nothing to do with the app, but with, well, with these smartphone apps. Uh, but because I explained the, how this whole tan thing works to you, there is, there are people complaining that this tan mechanism is attackable. And there are solutions to swap that out. So there's some other like zero knowledge hash, whatever mumbo jumbo that I don't really understand, but I, you know, it looks like it's for real that you can use instead of this um, tan to verify that, you know, somebody has tested positive. Um, the problem with the tan thing is that um, it's an interface. So you talk to the app server and the app server talks to the, let's say the lab server. Um and the lab has information about you because of this mandatory reporting stuff that the lab has to do to the Robert Koch Institute. They know who you are and they know all your contacts and all your information. And what is now conceivable is that through this TAN process, they can identify your exposure notifications. Um so they basically could figure out the ID you have from the app. I mean, the app, the only thing the API does is like give you like a new um, temporary exposure key every day. So let's say you report 14 days, you always report 14 days. They could, they could map those exposure keys to who you actually are. And then <clears throat> if they have like Bluetooth beacons everywhere, they could, map your temporary IDs to those exposure keys and they would know who, where you were. Now, you can already see there's many, many prerequisites that need to happen. First of all, um, this is like lots of labs, right? They all have different software. So um, you'd have to kind of get all of those to collaborate. You'd have to have SAP and the telecom or whoever runs the centrals, these, these servers, the um, key distribution server and the, um, you know, test uh, verification server. You need those to collaborate. And if you did that, you could map exposure keys to names, of people, um, you know, and addresses, you know, information about people. But, that itself doesn't help you either. Then you need uh, Bluetooth beacons everywhere. <laughs> and this is also, you basically need to be the government to orchestrate this, like in this case, the German government. But like if they wanted to do that, they could just, I mean, we already have the prerequisite. That's, I mean, they already have that data, right? They already knew who, well, part of that data. They already have the part of the data where they know who's infected because the Robert Koch Institute has that, which is a government a federal, a federal um, government um, organization. So, and then they could kind of track you if they had Bluetooth beacons everywhere. But the thing is, if they had Bluetooth beacons everywhere, they could probably track you anyway. I don't think they need the exposure keys for that. Like, um, I, I mean, when we talked about the API, I think I talked about the server, I talked about this shortly where like, even though... Um, I mean, they had these issues with the Australian app and people did like security research and privacy experts did like research on this. Even though you, even if you rotate those temporary keys every 20 minutes, if you have a lot of beacons and let's say you're in a, in a metropolitan area, um, where, you know, you have lots of people are just not out in the woods a lot of the time, but you're moving from area to area. If you have 
like these beacons that record Bluetooth IDs everywhere, um, you can track people. Um, let's say, in, for example, a hamburger in a big city, like London, for example. And that, but that would be, well, I say it would be easy, but you still need like the Bluetooth logging capabilities everywhere. I'm not saying that's not there because I know there's like street lamps that do that in the US, um, but it certainly would be hard and you wouldn't even really need the app because you could just like, what the app would do is just force, or the app would make sure that people's Bluetooth is on all the time. Um you know, currently that that is not the case unless, but then, you know, a lot of people use Bluetooth headphones. So we're getting in a realm where it's just basically Bluetooth tracking, which I don't think has anything to do with the app. So um, that could be solved with, with a technical solution, but they're not doing this. I th- They're not really, they haven't really said why they're not doing this. They basically said what I just said and said the attack is too far-fetched i think their problem is that they need to talk to all these labs right they need to talk to labs doctors whoever is like doing these test results and these are all these laboratory information systems and they're all like old and whatever and they're not standardized and i think i think there already probably was a system that that is there there's probably some um some interface there and they probably have a tan mechanism that they can easily tie into that. Maybe it was used for other reasons. It Like that was just there and they're not really saying where that was from. So I kind of feel like that was there already and they're using TANS because that's the only way they can do this by the middle of June. And I'm, as I said before, uh, we have before, between 400 and 500 new cases uh, in Germany currently, uh, daily, daily new cases, which means this app is probably coming too late anyway. I mean, even with, you know, we talked about 60% earlier, uh, in the earlier episodes, we talked about 60% estimated by this paper, Oxford paper, that people would have, 60% of all Germans would have to install this app. But even if that was the case, even 75% of all Germans installed this app, like, um, with so little, so few cases actually occurring, I think the chance of your app actually, you know, of ever, ever having meaningful contacts. I mean, you'll, they'll, you have lots of contacts, but with actually infected people, it will be very, very few cases. Um, so I, I guess this app is, as it is, it's too late, um, unless there's a second wave. Although, you know, people are saying, oh, when if there's a second wave? It doesn't look like there's a second wave. I don't think I've talked about this before. And then there, there aren't any indications that there will be a second wave. I think that we can be sure... Um, I'm pretty convinced by now that um, this, I mean, people will get mad about this again, but, you know, people um, always do. I'm pretty sure that this whole thing, um, this whole virus um, spreads exactly like the flu and it spreads probably in in the regular flu season, which we all, why, which is why we're also seeing a decline. Now, the only difference was nobody was immune. And if you actually look into flu outbreaks, there's never, a, like, if you take seasonal flu, there's never every, anybody who's, who's not, like, this, for the last 100 years, probably, there never was really a strain of seasonal flu where there wasn't any people um, already... Um, I immune to it. I mean, there's stuff like, you know, the Spanish flu was, was, was different, H1N1. There's always flus like that, like the Hong Kong flu, stuff like that happens, um, which is why then you have these big pandemics, which is the, the same thing here. This is so bad because we don't have any immunity. So I feel like 
The second wave is going to come when the normal flu season starts in Germany. That would be end of November, I guess. And But then you'd have immunity. And then I think, because so many people already had it, uh, because it spread so badly, um, then the second wave, which is, would just be like a normal flu wave, it's probably will be indistinguishable from from the flu wave, um, unless that's the big if. If this thing mutates so much, and we we have seen indications that that's the case, then of course all bets are off, and then we'll have this thing. I think that's less likely, but it could happen. I guess then we'll ha- we'll have this thing forever. Like we'll have this every year, like it was, and then we're really gonna need this app, and then then there will be a second wave and a third wave and a fourth wave, and then we'll actually figure out if this works. Um, now, generally, as I said, looks like looks very solid. This app the code looks, I mean, looks like to do everything by the book. There's some criticism um, about testing. Um, so apparently, automated testing, unit tests. There's um, some. Um, some problems here. Uh, I mean, not so much for the network. Um, oh, actually, I didn't went into that. I think I veered off that. So the so the other attack um, vector, of course, would be um, the network connections to the to the server. Um, yeah, I veered off that because then I talked about when the server, you know, when it actually talks to server. Well, I bit of, it's not really interesting because what, what they do is, it looks like they use protocol buffers for everything. Uh, so protobuf, which is something Google invented. Um, and that is because the API, the contact tracing API basically mandates that. And so it's, there's nothing interesting in the app itself um, because protobuf is, is, is kind of like the, the contact tracing API. It's part of the OS. Uh, and so this is very minimal code and that's easy to test. Um, people looked at that, that, you know, this is pretty much easy to test. Now with the UI, it, it looks different. There's, it seems to be some of this code is, is a lot of, lot, you know, really complicated, like, well, not really complicated, but some of it seems like really straightforward. And also it differs between the iOS code and the, the, uh, the Android code, but like, it seems like most of it's pretty straightforward, but then some stuff gets complicated because it has to get complicated. It also looked to me when I looked at it, that some of the stuff was like reused. It looks like SAP just had that probably from another app. And some of it looked more complicated than it had to be. Uh, but then keep in mind, I'm not a programmer really. So what do I know? But like, there's other people saying the same thing and there's people saying, eh, I don't know about the testability of this UI stuff. And there's definitely, this, this is not fully, like there's no full full test coverage, which, you know, people who are software developers are listening to this. Um, but I think this is a, yes, you know, I, I think this is a, um, a result of this still being very new code. Um, yes, if you develop an app, you know every you, you read uh, coding instruct you know manual, manuals and stuff. You know you obviously you should have and best practice would be to have everything covered by tests from the beginning. But you know this is a special circumstance. There's there's never been an open source project like this uh, in Germany. Uh, there's never been the government who said let's do an open source app in this way, this big, this many eyes on it, this quickly. And I feel like they're just, they're just trying to make the deadline. Right. And I, I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt for now. 
um, that there will be test coverage. Uh, it should really all be there before they actually release a first version that's you know that's ready for the public or even like for a clo- like a, a, a limited test. Uh, I mean, it should have complete test coverage before that. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. Um, there's of course a problem, not only like automated tests and unit tests and like that stuff like that, but like people actually testing it. The problem I mentioned before that you know, because you have to be whitelisted from Apple and Google to test this. Um, it's it's kind of hard to do that at the moment. Um, as far as I can tell. Um, the, from, from what I've seen, the app user is actually completely anonymous. And by that, I mean, not to, like, let's say you have an iPhone, right? Not, not towards Apple. Um, and that's not because it phones home to Apple. It's just because, I mean, you're using the app store and Apple knows who you are anyway, but it looks like it does what it's supposed to do. It does like, it looks like it saves everything locally in this encrypted SQLite database. And it will not upload any of these keys unless you actually tell it to. And then it'll upload the exposure notification, uh, the, 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 the temporary exposure keys. And even then, you know, it's those. And I, I went into the, you know, in the, in the episode where I went to the API, what that means. Um, this, this doesn't mean, I mean, this is not connected to any, like to your Bluetooth ID or any specific ID on the phone. As far as I can tell, of course, for that kind of that kind of bit, this 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 app just interfaces with the API. So you kind of have to trust Apple in the case of an iPhone or Android, or Google in the case of an Android phone, um, that they don't you know connect <laughs> yourself with that data before they upload it on the server. Like can't like really in the server source code source code it doesn't really. As far as I can tell, it doesn't do that. And then on the other hand, you always have to trust your your manufacturer, right? I mean, if I have an iPhone and I don't trust Apple, I can just, you know, kill that, destroy that phone, throw it away. Because they could do anything. Like, they could do silent silent OS updates that I don't know about, where they just patch in all kinds of spy features. They could just turn on the microphone or the camera or the GPS at any time. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of a given. Um, so it looks to me like this whole thing, um, is pretty much textbooks open sourcing of something. I've, I would have never expected to say something like that of SAP developers, but also if you look at these guys and you look at their GitHub profiles and, you know, on Twitter or whatever, they all seem to be young and, you know, it seems to be like the cool new young generation with an SAP, not the not the old guys, um, kind of like, you know, you have Microsoft these days, um, stuff like that. Um, you know, when they do like their new terminal and stuff, it's all the new cool hipster kids in the company. Um, so it, it looks great. Now, all of this, as I said, not a non-IT securities pen testing specialist, um, not a developer specialist. So this is all given the fact that you know, in the next few days or weeks, nobody comes out and finds something bad. That could always happen. But, you know, we have open source code. That That's that's a good thing about it. And uh, people have to look at it. And, you know, for you listening to this podcast, of course, I will update you as soon as something happens. I have an eye on the situation. 
Um, I'm, I'm continuing to follow the story, of course. And, um, you know, if you go to privatecitizen.press, there's like, um, if you go to the website, which I'm going to do right now, live on the show, see if it's still up, um, privatecitizen.press, there's a, you know, there's podcasts and news up the top in the navigation. And news is kind of where I like dump stuff I read for the show. Um, not all of it gets covered in the show, of course, but it's helpful, I guess, for, you know, I'm, I, I find stuff like this helpful on the web. So I thought, why not? You know, I, I with this whole thing being a value for value podcast and you being the producers, I want to give back. I want to be transparent about the show. And I also, I try to give you all my sources. Um, you know, I've, I've said this a lot of times. It's Everything's always in the show notes. But I also want to give you like a little bit more of my workflow. And so I thought this is really helpful. So you can follow along there as well. If you don't really want to wait for the next podcast episode to be out. Um, I kind of started this because I have a dream that I could at one point build the website and the the brand, say call a brand of the private citizen brand into more than a podcast. Like I'd love to um, do like a, a news website based around privacy, which um, I did something like similar to this about Linux and open source. Actually, before I got hired, for my first job as a professional journalist at the age when I was still studying, I had this website uh, called Alex News where I did Linux news and, you know, uh, talked about stuff. And I had to shut it down. That was a uh, uh, kind of a, um, not really part of the contract, but, you know, I was kind of asked when I got hired by the age, you know, you can't really do that in your free time and write, stuff and you know we can't expect you to write this stuff for our website which i thought completely fair um so i shut the site down but i still enjoyed doing that a lot and i would love to do that at some point so if i ever get enough like supporters on patreon for this for this podcast um you know that i can actually justify putting the time in and i can actually justify not writing for other outlets where i earn you know, where they pay me for that, then I would, I would love to do that. So I've, I've, it's kind of my first little foray in that direction. And you can always go there and check out what I'm doing. So, you know, having said that, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm keeping on the topic. I will, I will obviously, um, you know, as soon as something happens and somebody comes out and finds a security vulnerability or something like that, I'll, I'll, I'll be on it. Um, and of course, uh, again, calling, calling on you, uh, the listener slash producer of this podcast. Um, if you see something like that, please contact me. Uh, contact link pri- is on privatecitizen.press. It's always under feedback. Um, there's a contact link in the very footer of the site. Also, that all goes to fab.industries slash contact. So you can go there. It's different ways. There's like whistleblower contact forms where you can do this anonymously and stuff like that so I'd, I'd be happy if, if you find something if you want to let me know and i'll of course talk about it on the show uh, unless you don't want me to then please put that in the <laughs> in the message hmm. my voice is getting hoarse what is this can't can't do two podcasts a week anymore getting bloody old here mate can't have that <laughs> yeah so it looks good it all looks good now this is all This is all kind of dependent, like, 
assuming that this app is good, like, and this, they, they don't fuck up and they don't put any tracking in the last moment or have any horrible security problems. Um, the real question now, which is, I guess it's not really uh, part of the topic of the show, but I ha kind of have to address it at the end. And this is something that I continue to follow. I mean, the real interesting question is if you look at the bigger picture, is this app going to work? Like, are enough people going to install this? Um, are enough people actually, you know, that have the app installed and have tracked their, like, kind of whereabouts with it, you know, through the API? Sorry, I'm just fixing my microphone here. Um, why is that moving? Sorry, my pop shield is moving around. I don't have to. It's annoying me. It's annoying the hell out of me. <laughs> um, so, sorry for that. <laughs> with the mask on um so yeah the real question is will that will enough people install it will enough people actually if they had installed it and the get tested positive will enough people actually report that um will the bluetooth contact tracing work that's the thing i've, I've been saying from the beginning we don't really know like there is these um As I said, if you look at the server code, there's all these variables or like there's basically, yeah, there's like this Bluetooth, you know, the, the, the attenuation of the Bluetooth signal and the length of time you've been in contact. But then there's like this risk variables, which are basically how infectious are you, which something I guess like the, the Robert Koch Institute would, the RKI would put in there in Germany and you can kind of uh, adjust that on the server. Um, But, you know, we don't know if that's going to work. We'll just be able to see it. I mean, there's, there's news come out with the Australian contact tracing app, which the government was like, it's the new best, last best hope for our survival. And obviously that's not based on the Apple Google API. So it has, it has a lot of problems where it can't have like on the iPhone, it can't have the Bluetooth on all the time, stuff like that. But a lot of people installed it and, um, but it doesn't seem to help. Like they've, I think last time I've, I've seen they traced like one contact. <laughs> um, so, no idea. We have we have no idea if this is gonna work at all, and that that's kind of not not based on on the, the the how how good the code is and you know uh, the the open source nature of the project. Um, it's kind of got to say. Looking at this, I looked at this for several days. Uh, I looked through the code, uh, a lot of work, which is why I was kind of. You know, people are like fab. Why you not tweeting? Why not writing blog posts? Um, that was why I did uh, did a lot of work on this, um, and it was kind of cool to see uh, be it being like developed in in real time on GitHub, which is cool when you have an open source product. But it's even cooler, this is like a gov government mandated open source product. It's pretty pretty cool, um, and you know, people will know that I'm you know I, I was very critical of all these restrictions and. I was critical from the beginning. I mean, I we had the, I had the show where I talked to Jürgen Goiter, uh, Tante at Tante about um, where we basically were both in agreement, coming from different angles, but basically both in the agreement that this whole idea of Bluetooth contract tracing is idiotic and won't work, uh, which I still think it. I don't think it's gonna do anything. But you know, I think it's mostly there from the government's perspective. Um, so people are like tinfoil hat people like they want to spy on us i don't think that's the case um i think it's there just to um make people feel secure <laughs> you know and have an excuse to open up the country again 
and then if we get another wave they can always say oh the app didn't work um you know and I, I think that's 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 the case for it but you know putting that all aside it's kind of cool that the government is doing this and that, that they developed this that quickly and in such an open source way and i do have hopes that maybe you know when we have stuff like that in the future maybe for f- completely different reasons but if the government develops an app that the, that it will go to this being open source um because i mean their biggest um argument for this being open source even f- like not only like people commenting on it but even from the government itself was this has to be open source because people have to install it and it's 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 not mandatory so people need to trust it and the only way to make people trust it is to make it open source and the fact that this that that sentiment has reached the government people will only trust this code if it's open source that is an incredible uh, achievement if you are if you believe in open source i feel um, that is something that when I started Linux Outlaws, which was not only a Linux podcast, it was very much an open source podcast. And we talked about this kind of, of open source and adoption and ethics behind it and government and politics a lot, a lot. People who are long-time listeners, which there are a lot. Um, I'm, I'm discovering a lot of people are writing me and like their first sentence in their message is, Fab, I've been listening to you since Linux Outlaws. Um yeah, that is amazing. I would have never guessed that this would happen when I when we started that show. Um, so that's pretty cool. And I need, I need more coffee. Yeah, I guess that that's pretty much it. Um, if you have questions, please please write me. Um, I'm actually uh, currently working on like an FAQ kind of uh, questions and answers article. Um, so I'm, I'm there's some interesting stuff people have written me because you know. I've I've like I've tried to source like questions for this from I hate these fake FAQ articles when you can you can always tell when like the journalist make us makes up their own questions. I, I ask journalist colleagues, but I also ask a lot of like just people, normal people in air quotes. Um because there's lots of and they already I have already a lot of questions that would have never occurred to me. Because if you're spending days and weeks and months looking at this topic and like looking at it from all angles and doing research and looking at code and stuff like you're so deep in it that you will just you won't see uh you yeah you, you don't see the forest for all the trees right um so so your input as always is very valued so please please keep it coming um private citizen not press all the details are on there yeah, and speaking of feedback, let's get into the feedback. I've actually received uh, interesting feedback for the show. And the first audio feedback comes from Martin. And Martin had sent me, I, I talked about how I moved the website of this podcast to Netlify. And Martin had commented on that. And then I had read that out and I commented myself on what Martin had said. Now, Martin wants to clarify some of the things. And he actually sent me... Um, audio feedback so he recorded this he also sent me as text which i put in the show notes which is really helpful but he also sent me audio feedback and um i want to play that now i think that's a great idea so if you have the means of doing that obviously kind of needs to you kind of need to have at least a decent microphone um i am able to clean some of it up and you know i might maybe i'll cut out some pauses or something like that but um otherwise i want to keep it like you recorded it because that i think that adds to it otherwise i could just read out it myself 
Um, but so yeah, if you have the ability to do that in a quality that, you know, is good enough, I did put some compression on this and did cut out one pause, I think, um, then that is great. So uh, without further ado, let's see what Martin had to say um, towards, you know, in response to me reading out his feedback. And I'm going to pause this in the middle, I think, because he has two points and I want to address them. It's, and it's it's like four minutes long. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll, I'll have forgotten at the end, what I want to say at the beginning, so I'll 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 pause it in the middle. But uh, let's let's see what Martin had to, had to say. Hi Fab, thank you for featuring my feedback in episode twenty of the Private Citizen. And I have two points of which I think that they got lost in translation a bit. That's why I'm sending you this message in English. So there were two things. So the first thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, something I hadn't mentioned. I think Martin or Martin's German, <laughs> probably can tell. Um, and he had already the, the first email was written in German, and I had kind of translated it on the fly uh, to, you know, read it out on the show. And as he says that that could have been a source of misunderstanding. Um, so it's nice of him to write this and, and send this in in English, which which is great. Yes, content-wise, my point was. Your workflow is you push your Hugo files to Git and that automatically triggers an update of your website without you having to worry about servers being set up or any kinds of environments running somewhere. Just the cloud does that for you. And I was saying that this workflow can be implemented without any particular web hoster, just some plain web hoster, not only Netlify can do that for you. And the way how doing that is, you can tell GitLab or GitHub to compile the block on their infrastructure. So there are two approaches. One way of doing that is you give Netlify your GitHub account. They use that to scrape basically your Git contents. And when there is a push, then they would compile that and put it on their website. And the other approach is, instead of configuring Netlify to do so, you configure GitHub or GitLab to do so. So they get the push, they compile it on their infrastructure, push it to any hoster in the world. Um, yeah, that is, that is good. I, I think it's great that you um, sent that in, uh, Martin, again, because that definitely got lost i don't think it got lost in translation i think that i just like that that being your point just didn't occur to me you know it's it's text you know you, sometimes you read it differently whatever um i just assumed everybody knew that um, which is maybe stupid but I, I looked at it a lot so it's maybe again the can't see the forest for the trees um i so it's 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 a great point that you can you can have uh, github or gitlab compile the site um, on their infrastructure and then deploy it to some um, random web space. And yes, that's what Netlify does. It's the only th difference is they um, they have they, they already have their web space, right? They, they are the web space. Um, and also I don't think they're they're scraping it at it's so you you um, get in, in GitHub's case, and I think GitLab does it the same way, they have like an API thing, right? It's a, you 
um, authorize Netlify as an app, and then they will, um, you know, when you push something to your repo um, in a certain branch, you can do it now by branch in, in, in Netlify, then they will actually ping that service and they can then basically uh, fetch the changes and build the site. Um, yes, but you can do that on any on any web space, um, which is the beauty about, I mean, I don't think I said that here, but I think I wrote about it in the blog post that I linked. Um, that's the blue beauty of Fugo or of any static site generator, right? It just generates a folder structure um, with with HTML documents. You can just chuck that on any web server um, that, you know, you don't need any, it doesn't need to run any like CGI or anything. It's just HTML files in a folder structure, which is why it's great. Anyway, let's continue here uh, with what Martin is saying. Okay. And the second point that I was uh, trying to make is I did not want to tell you in which way you should do that. So you you called these people who do that dickheads and you said, I'm not a dickhead. I'm, I'm a bit proud to be called not a dickhead <laughs> by you. Okay. I guess I, did. I guess I did that. And um, yeah, I didn't as just to address that quickly. Um, that was just an example as, as I think as Martin has, as has realized, I didn't want him. That's why I said, isn't a dickhead. Um, I wanted, I didn't want him to feel like I'm grouping him, him in with these people. That was just something I would just wanted to explain how a podcaster sometimes, you know, if you do something like this and you have people send in feedback, um, you get a lot of that. And sometimes, um, that's, that's why, People like me who do shows like this react to feedback sometimes. That's just, you know, and obviously didn't mean Martin with that. Um, <laughs> but the point I was trying to uh, make was I, I wasn't trying to tell you how to do your stuff. I was trying to learn something because the key advantage of Netlify that you described, so push equals website update, that one I knew already without using Netlify. So I thought, okay, there must be something hidden uh, that makes Netlify uniquely attractive. Even you said that uh, they were some uh, hipster San Francisco startup. Um, so I thought the benefit of using them must be high enough to justify that. So I wanted to learn what is what uh, they do differently. And that's why I said that. Not that I w wanted to tell you, you have to switch. Um, and to quickly address that. So the, 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 the selling point, I guess. So with, with the other approach, right? You can, I, I already have all my stuff in Git and I already have GitHub or GitLab. Let's, let's just call them, let's just say GitHub for this moment, but understanding that you can also substitute GitLab for that. Um, so, so I have all my stuff in Git. I already have a GitHub account that I use kind of also as a backup for the code. Um, and I, w I was now in the position that I needed to move away from a web poster. So I can either um, set all this stuff up on, on GitHub and go search for web poster, just any web poster um, that I pay and that, that then pushes that stuff, you know, GitHub pushes that stuff too. Or I can just go to Netlify. And the only thing I need is I just need to give them 
access to that repo and they have very fine GitLab has very and GitLab I guess as well very fine access control so they only have access to one branch uh, of the repo and uh, only read access and it does all of that and there are already a web hoster and if you the other thing is um, I mean I'm they do all of that for free you have a certain amount of build time um, per month and if you stay under that, which is pretty generous, um, then I'm, I'm presumably I I don't I I don't I don't don't think I would ever get over that. Um, so so I can just use that to host my website and the private citizen completely for free. Um, and I understand you know there are a uh, as I said there are hipsters in San Francisco that startups that I usually try to avoid, but I really have no danger. There's no danger there, right? They have no data from me that that I wouldn't give people anyway. It's a public website, right? I mean, the GitHub repo isn't public, but it could be. Um, the uh, the the only reason why it's not public, by the way, is that I use that. Like, I have other branches and I do other stuff that I, you know, do some development on the website and try some stuff out that I really don't want people to see, really. Um, and so I really don't have anything to lose. And because there, there's no really lock, lock in, right? Because as we just discussed, because this is just Hugo and it's just static HTML, like I can just go, like if, if Netlify does anything I don't like, I can in inside of an hour, I can go get another web hoster, get web space, random web space, and then either deploy as I did before from my machine or do what Martin uh, has described and, you know, use that and do it right from GitHub. So really, there's no downside. There's some other upsides. Um, they have some features you can pay for. For example, I'm paying for the analytics package, uh, which you pay by website, um, which isn't cheap, but it's well done. It's basically server analytics. It looks a lot better than using... Uh, you know, some web stats, CGI web stats package, and it it is... They take care of everything. It's uh, GDPR compliant. They only keep data for 30 days. Um, and they, you know, it's no tracking or anything. They just analyze hits on the server, which is exactly what I wanted and which is brilliant. They have some other features, uh, support for large files uh, in Git. Um, they have CDN features that you can use. Um, so, you know, you could presumably, um, it kind of... It kind of selves, saves you also, like if you have a high traffic website to do stuff like, you know, get get an Amazon uh, uh, storage for, you know, just object storage for like images or something like that. It is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it could, you know, they're a startup and they could do horrible things and could go away. But then, you know, I can just move to another website, uh, another random web host. And because I was looking for a web host anyway, and I saw all these features and people were using them and saying, oh, they're kind of cool. I was like, yeah, might as well try it. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy. <laughs> um, let's but let's go back to what Martin was saying. And maybe justifying a bit what the dickheads are doing. Um I think that many of them do not want to tell you do it this and that way. Also, it sometimes sounds like that. I think they also just want to learn more. So they want to provoke a bit the conflict and see whether there's something they might maybe have done wrong or maybe there's some thing about the use case they haven't understood. 
Okay. Good. Um, I agree with you there, Martin. Um, but I also think, you know, you, you probably don't think that because you're not a dickhead. Uh, but there are also a lot of dickheads in the open source community, especially in the open source community. Um, there are a lot of dickheads in the security community as well. Um, there are just lots of assholes around. <laughs> and yes, uh, as, as I said, I didn't want to imply. I don't think anybody uh, who's ever written to this show, I would classify as that. Like if somebody like that writes me, you will not hear their stuff on, on the show, right? <laughs> Um, as I already said, I would like to thank you very much for calling me not a dickhead. I will put that on my CV. And yeah, that's for now then. Um, I wish you all the best for the rest of the show. I'm looking forward for the following episodes. Well, thank you, Martin. Uh, I have to say uh, thank you very much, especially for also taking the time to recording this, which is great for a podcast, which is pretty cool. And, you know, you're... Not only are you not a dickhead, um, I would say uh, Martin is is a pretty upstanding citizen. One could even say a model citizen. So you can you can also put that on your CV. <laughs> um, yeah, th I thought that was great feedback. I also uh, received a tweet from Jonathan M H, uh, who said so he linked an article on the BBC. He said, "I want Fabsh to read." out some of the quotes in this article on one of his shows. And because Jonathan has been one of the longest standing uh, producers of this show, and because the article is pretty funny and even like remotely topical today, I, I will now do so. Now, this is uh, an article on the BBC. I'll link it in the show notes. Oh, yeah, it'll be in the feedback section. It's called Trading Standards Squad Targets Anti-5G USB Stick. And this is also about, you know, coronavirus a little bit and about that conspiracy theory that uh, 5G causes coronavirus or causes coronavirus symptoms, which is uh, pretty much, I'm pretty sure it's utter bullcrap because, I mean, um, if you actually look at 5G, and you look at a bit about the frequencies that are being used, um, you notice that, you know, these, these standards are always like incremental. So a hell of a lot of the technology of the, 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 the way it works and of the frequencies are already in use in LTE. <laughs> and also like the way it actually, like the later LTE versions kind of are approaching 5G. I mean, this anyway, this this whole 5G, 4G, this just branding, right? That has mostly has nothing to do with the actual frequencies being used. Um, lots of the other frequencies are used in Wi-Fi. So I don't understand why uh, 5G would cause any symptoms like this, but your Wi-Fi router wouldn't. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty in a, pretty much in agreement that this is bullcrap. But there, this is a funny article. And this article is like about USB sticks that... Um, kind of say they save this uh they, they save you from this so let's let's start reading it so trading standards officers i think that's a uk government office uh are seeking to hold sales of a device that has been claimed to offer protection against the supposed dangers of 5g via use of quantum technology Cybersecurity experts say the 339-pound 5G BioShield appears to be no more than a basic USB drive. Quote, we consider it to be a scam, Stephen Knight, operations director for London Trading Standards, told the BBC. His 
Oh, God, they have typos in this article. God, the BBC is going downhill. He said his team is working with City of London Police's Action Fraud Squad. They are seeking... Uh, by the way, I what I hate about BBC is the, the BBC, right, on their fucking website, they think it's normal to have a paragraph that's just one sentence. I mean... That's just idiotic. I mean, that makes the article look so much. It looks like you're reading the fucking Daily Mail. Um, they are seeking a court order to take down the company's website. So this is a USB stick. Uh, well, go to the article if you want to look like what it looks like. So that's basically a USB stick. And then it has a clear crystal block at the end with some kind of graphic. So under the headline, Holographic Nano Layer Catalyzer. The rollout of the new 5G mobile networks began in the UK only last summer, blah, 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 blah. And there's a, yet across the country, there's already a cottage industry offering protection against the suppressed native ne negative health effects, even though they have been dismissed by regulators and mainstream scientists. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's really easy to produce a device that protects you from something that isn't actually causing harm, isn't it? Uh, the 5G BioShield bio was recommended by a member of Glastonbury Town Council's 5G Advisory Committee, which has called for an inquiry into 5G. One of nine external members, Toby Hall, said, we use this device and find it helpful, and provided a link to its website, which describes it as a USB key that, quote, provides protection for your home and family, thanks to the wearable holographic nanolayer catalyzer, which can be worn or placed near to a smartphone or any other electrical radiation or EMF emitting device. So already by the text, you can tell that these people are dumb. So it's a wearable holographic blah that can be worn. Wow. Um, through a process of quantum oscillation, the 5G BioShield USB key balances and reharmonizes the disturbing frequencies arising from the electric fog induced by devices such as laptops, cordless phones, cordless phones, Wi-Fi, tablets, etc. It adds... This reads like something, I've, I've said this to, to uh, Jonathan on Twitter, this reads like something the uh, Star Trek Discovery Writers Room came up with. Um, are there any um, tardigrades involved in this technology? I also like the, the images on their website. It's just like a woman with a laptop sitting on grass and then there's this bubble around it. It reharmonizes the disturbing frequency. Somebody who's actually, um, do, you know, studying for the ham license, like, what the fuck are disturbing frequencies? Like, at, at what point does the frequency become disturbing? Like, is, is it a special amplitude? <laughs> you know, what is? It? I don't know. It's 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 weird. Um, each of these you speaking costs three hundred thirty nine pounds sixty pence. Uh, uh, cents, sorry. Uh, so three thirty nine sixty, including VAT. Though there's a special offer of three for nine hundred fifty eight eighty. Wow, that's a that's a that's a bargain. Um, first sight, it seems to be just that a USB key with just one hundred twenty eight megabytes of storage. So what's the difference between it and virtually and a virtually identical crystal 
in air quotes USB key available from various suppliers in Shenzhen, China for around five pounds per key, asked Ken Manru, whose company Pentest Partners, actually, I know that guy, know the company, specializes in taking apart consumer electronics products to spot security vulnerabilities. And the answer appears to be a circular sticker. Now, we're not 5G quantum experts, but that sticker looks remarkably like one available in sheets from station, stationary suppliers for less than a penny each, he says. Oh, this is great. So basically, it's a USB key, and then they put a put a sticker on there. Um, maybe we have to go to this website. Do they have the website? Let, let's Google. 5G BioShield. Oh, God, not 45G. That's, that's something completely different. Uh, 5G BioShield. Here we are, 5GBioShield.com. Put a link in the show notes. Oh, their website's not reloading, is it? Oh, that is... Oh, it's a... They have a lion in the header. Also, I can't... I can't... Okay the disclaimer. Because it doesn't work. <laughs> wow. This is bad. This whole website is a clusterfuck. Um, we already read that out. Uh, they're harmonizing, yeah. The, the 5G BioShield USB key with the nano layer, with the nano layer, is a quantum holographic catalyzer technology for the balance and harmonization of the harmful effects of imbalanced electri electrical radiation. Oh, so it converts, Is it, it's like audio, so I can con convert my imbalanced jack output to balance jack that would be helpful um, although it's a bit expensive for that as well the nano layer operating diameter is either 80 or 40 meters the nano layer operating diameter okay so i guess that's the diameter of the bubble that protects you so either 80 8 meters if you're using it on your laptop or 40 for your house I'm not. I'm guessing that is not the um, the wavelength, <laughs> because 40 meters is uh, is very different than <laughs> 5G. Uh, anyway, um, the 5G BioShield USB key is resulting from research of several decades in multiple countries. Wow, the active key operating diameter shields and harmonizes a complete family home. Proprietary holographic nanolight, nanolayer technology, quantum biological shielding technology, protecting your home and family. Do they have a how it works? Science and research. References. Oh, God, they have references on some. Oh, yeah, okay, so they have references such as atom, electric current, gravity, magnetism, energy mass, and speed of light are not what science, capitalized, believes, and Earth is not a magnet. Of course, Earth is not a magnet. It just has a magnetic field. And this is the International Journal of Science and Research, IJSR, at IJSR.net. Okay. Wow. I'm 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 feeling like I'm stepping into like a a wormhole of Oh, oh yeah, that's uh, the International Journal of Science and Research IJSR is published in uh Raipur Chhattis uh, I, um, I, I I apologize for my Indian. Chhattisgarh, India. Okay. Not saying that India, you know, is generally a bad place to um to uh 
have your have research published, but it it is weird. And, uh, and this this article, atom, electric current, gravity, magnetism, blah blah blah, is uh, from Ilya Lakicevic from 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 Serbia. So I guess they've proved it. Now all their um, oh no, there's some other. This says this goes to Scientific American. Vibration is at the origin of all forms. What? <laughs> oh God. There's the Heart Heart Math Institute, comma in the USA. These people are not from from Britain, right? The Heart Math Institute, a nonprofit organization. Be generous, do for others, you'll be happier. Oh, this looks this looks very scientific. <laughs> okay, um, let's let's. Let's figure out how that works. Um, in our civilization is emerging new science-based... In our civilization is emerging new science based on knowledge, whereas the official old science is based on information. Ah, okay. So the new science based on knowledge and the old science based on information. We get information through our senses, which are dual and deliver us an inverted picture of the truth. And consequently, information is the opposite of knowledge so that all the old scientific concepts and therefore the upside down of the true concepts. One can find the true concepts in my recent publication. So all, I guess, all old old in air quote science is is wrong okay um so i guess we really don't understand how planes uh, stay in the air uh, how radio waves work okay so this is ilya so this is all research from ilya lakicevich so disregard all others anyway let's let's stop doing jonathan <laughs> i hope you got what you wanted from this Sorry if people people think like I wasted their time. Sometimes I, you know, I do this podcast for fun. Sometimes I like to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, that's it. Um, some some interesting feedback we got there, and some some crazy stuff we fell into because of it. Thanks to Jonathan and um, and Martin for writing me, and thanks for everybody else who uh, who, who has written me uh, written me or sent me messages or is considering to do so. Go to privatecitizen.press. Uh, contact details are on the site now. If you do that, you're a producer, but you're also a producer if you're helping me out. Uh, getting the show uh, on the air by, you know, just sending me money. And you can do that on Patreon. You can become a patron. So that is like, that's a monthly subscription that you can choose. Or you could just send me one-off um, contributions via PayPal. Um, the email address is producers at fab.industries. That is uh, producers at fab dot industries is also all in the show notes and um, this podcast operates under the value for value model and i noticed that uh, martin has also become a uh, supporter of the show and he referenced that you know in his in his message it's a very nice message and um so the the idea is that you know if you get some value from the show um I appreciate it if you give some value back. Now, what that value is, you can decide. 
And maybe you think the value is higher than what you can actually uh, give back, which is completely fair. Like, I completely understand. You do not need to write me and say, you know, oh, I'm only giving you X amount of, of money. I would love to give you. I mean, you can, but like, there's no need for that because I appreciate everything. Um, I just appreciate people just listening. I appreciate feedback a lot. Um, I love all of this. I love the feedback. I love people, you know, recording stuff and sending it in. It's great. Uh, lo love to hear from people who are listening to this, this crazy stuff. And, um, you know, especially in today, I mean, I, in, in, the, in the situation we are on right now, where we've basically fucked over all of our economies because of our reaction to this virus. I mean, you're happy if you add if you have income at the moment. So I completely understand, right? I completely understand. And I, I'm not looking to live off this podcast. Um, as I said, I have some plans. If I ever get more support, um, I can put more time into this and I can maybe do more episodes or I could even do like conceivably, if I get enough support, do something like, you know, write some news articles, um, maybe some write some essays. I could, you know, do some stuff in writing or, you know, if you have any other ideas. Um, also, I'm also looking for feedback on that kind of stuff. Anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks uh, for considering to toss a coin to your uh, humble podcaster. <laughs> I'm not kidding monsters, but um, uh, I'm trying to enable you um, to, you know, first of all, I'm trying to give you some information that is, that was worth something to you. And then I'm enabling you to, you know, do your own research, think for yourself, which I think is also very important. Yes. And um, with that, I'm at the part of the show where I thank everybody who's who's done that. First of all, um, I would like to thank uh, Raul Kabzali, who uh, recorded uh, the uh, song Acoustic Roots, which I use as a theme tune for this show, which I love. And I think... Uh, judging by the feedback many of you like as well. And I would like to thank ByteMark because we talked about um, how I'm hosting the website, but actually hosting the audio files is something that is a lot harder. And to do that in a manner where you get speedy downloads and everything works is actually also quite expensive. So um, I appreciate the ByteMark, uh, which is a UK cloud hosting provider at bytemark.co.uk um, is gracefully providing the server that I'm using, uh, the servers actually that I'm using to do this and have done so for many, many years back to the Linux Outlaws days. And they're a great company. They, um, they love open source, you know, and when we, uh, we used to do this, well, is well, currently there's no conferences on, but you know, until up until last year, uh, we had the OCCAMP, uh, which is actually the biggest community open source conference uh, in the UK, which grew out of uh, both, um, Linux Outlaws and uh, back in the day the Ubuntu UK podcast then I was just called the Ubuntu podcast um, and you know we we had this this event that we put on every year and actually Bindmark sponsored that as well and I met some of the people and they're really nice so thank you Bindmark and um, also thanks to all of the people who have uh, who have pitched in and uh, who are patron supporters or who have sent me money uh, via PayPal, and those people are Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Hathy, who uh, sent some feedback this episode, uh, Georges Walther, Dave, Niall Donegan, Rashid Alimani, Butterbeans, Kai Sears, Mark Holland, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Steve Hose, Fadi Mansour, Joe Poser, 1i11g, 
Matt Jollyman, I can. Philip Klostermann, Jackie Plage, Dave Umrish, Dirk D, David Potter, Whiteoutus Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mika, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Sylvia Vulcan, SJ, and Martin, who isn't a douchebag and isn't a dickhead. He's an upstanding citizen. <laughs> Thanks to all of you. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll sign off for today. Um, I'll hope to be back with you with another episode pretty soon. Um, until then, you know, hang in there. Um, and, you know, uh, well, you kind of have to decide yourself if you uh, want to install this app if you're in Germany. Um, it's available in English and German and will be available in Turkish, by the way. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I can't really give you a recommendation there. Uh, the only thing I can say to you is see you next time. And always aim to misbehave. <laughs> <laughs>